when I was 13 or 14, um, I took on our school's tuck shop and uh, um, built this sort of healthy, uh, healthier sandwich option. It's just this love of, of just being outside of my comfort zone. The uncertainty, um, I thrive in uncertainty. I've worked in a corporate job and I, I hated it. I was miserable. Um, and I, I now thrive in this sort of uncertainty and um, risk, um, really. So I went about it trying to build this all singing, all dancing product with all bells and whistles on, um, and they just, you know, stopped me right there and said, look, just launch it. You'd be embarrassed by your first product. You know, just launch it, see how people use it, um, and, and adapt and adopt this sort of agile working way of working. Things won't go your way you're doing your best, like keep going. And also this sort of stoic philosophy of separating yourself from, from the result. Don't take it personally, you know, um, it, you, you are just doing your best. Our eating habits are changing. We're demanding better dining experiences and the food market has never been so competitive. Starting and succeeding with a food business is challenging but some determined and passionate entrepreneurs are flourishing. These people have big dreams, big passion, and big drive. They are disruptors, change makers, and innovators. They see a positive future. Many say that food business is too risky. Some say that it has huge rewards. Are you up for the challenge. I had ex-rugby player Joel Burgess from Health-Based NutriFix, um, the health-based app on the show today. He's a super entrepreneurial guy. I guess he developed his positive success-driven mindset from his days uh, playing rugby and boxing. And he had so many insights into productivity. He's got super focus and really he's all about maximizing every minute of the day um, to gain as much productivity for the business. I found it really interesting. He has just pivoted the business. So he was B2C initially and he's just moved to B2B and he's got some really exciting plans and some partnerships for the near future. So I'm sure he's gonna grow uh, very quickly and yeah very exciting times for him so i really enjoyed this interview i found it really insightful i hope you do too enjoy this is food motion i am peter farrell my guest today is joel burgess founder and ceo of nutrifix a nutrition app that locates nearby healthy meals which are tailored to individual bodies needs and dietary requirements in november 2016 just before launching Nutrifix was one of the first startups to join the Just Eat Food Tech Accelerator program, which provided the team with 10 weeks of intensive mentoring in addition to £20,000 of investment. In March 2017, Nutrifix launched and succeeded with a crowdfunding campaign, raising £200,000. This fueled the initial growth and success, and within the first year, Nutrifix built up over 5,000 users and data from over 9,000 locations and 90 vendors. Although still a relatively young business, Joel has built a strong foundation and is achieving some very positive traction for the business. Joel, welcome to Food Motion. Thank you, thanks for having me. So I know sport was a big part of your life uh, growing up. Yep. How do you think that shaped your mindset? And I guess you have a success focus. Do you think that was a part of, of 
building that or developing that in yourself? Yeah, absolutely. So I was a really passionate rugby player. Um, I tried to go professional, had a number of injuries that sort of stopped that short. Um, but yeah, I think rugby uh, is probably the ultimate team game. You know, you're put, putting your body on the line. So uh, it definitely taught me leadership, um, teamwork. I think uh, leading by example, uh, the best way to inspire um, your team is to, you know, put your head where, you know, it hurts, um, you know, work harder. So it definitely sort, you know, sort of taught me that. Um, but also, uh, yeah, work ethic. Um, you know, I, I always stayed and did extra. Um, you know, even when I was 12, we'd do fitness, I would stay and do another 30 minutes on my own. So I've I always inspired that sort of work ethic in me. Um, you know, and yeah, just, just that sort of uh, drive and ambition. You know, I really wanted to be a professional rugby player. I probably wasn't that naturally talented, but I worked so hard at fitness, in the gym, uh, in the game, that that's kind of how I got so far, which I did. Um, I then actually got into boxing. <laughs> okay. So again, work ethic, um, getting outside your comfort zone. You know, there's nothing scarier than being in a ring, you know, on your own. Um, so yeah, that definitely taught me getting out of your comfort zone. Um, yeah, and just that work ethic, I suppose. Okay. And you find that you're goal orientated? And that you're, you're trying to achieve something and, and I guess get that feeling of success and, and scoring in a sense. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, absolutely. I've always been very uh, focused, goal driven. Um, you know, even when I was younger, I had like, you know, posters on the wall written of like what I need to achieve, you know, little um, mantras to myself. So um, that's certainly, yeah, it's been with me fr from from the start. I think I've, I've got more more enjoyment out of working as a team and um, you know, winning as a team, you know. So you know, when I can, I much preferred rugby to, to boxing because you know I had that team element. So uh, whereas boxing, you're on your own. There's not much enjoyment from winning on your own. Sure. Uh, actually, when you win as a team, it's just you know heightens that feeling of success so much more. So uh, yeah, actually working as a team to achieve success, I think that's far more than just individual success. Okay. So it's clear you have the entrepreneurial mindset. It, it seems you developed it from the sport. Yeah. What was your earliest entrepreneurial moment? Like, were we doing entrepreneurial ventures when you were younger? Or yes. how did that skill side develop <laughs> in you? Yeah, so my, my dad has his own business. Uh, has run it for 30, or 30 years or so. So I kind of grew up around that sort of entrepreneurial mindset. I saw him building a business. Uh, and that kind of always has in interested me. I think even when I, when I was 13 or 14, um, I took on our school's tuck shop and uh, um, built this sort of healthy, uh, healthier sandwich option. So uh, I went around the school getting uh, kids to order their snacks for the day for the next day, and I would then go home at night, make healthy snacks, make healthy sandwiches, salads, and stuff, and then deliver it out to the students the next day. You know, I was making like two or three grand in in, uh, in a term. For like a 14 year old it's quite a lot of money wow. so i think that's my earliest uh my earliest sort of venture um i then like designed this um i've always been into creating and building products i designed this like thing for my mum's uh dog um dog training class uh i saw it on crafts tried to redesign it built it and sold some to my uh mum's dog training class and then at uni i tried to launch a nightclub night uh, and it was an awful, awful flop. Okay. <laughs> I tried to take on the most popular night in Bristol and 
it was a, it was a flop. Okay. But uh, yeah, I think I've always had that sort of entrepreneurial mindset, and I've always wanted to create, build stuff, um, and like get out of my comfort zone. I suppose. Okay. How did you pick yourself up after that flop at an early age as well? Yeah, it impacted you a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it probably uh, impacted my street cred more than uh. anything because <laughs> I would almost like pay people to come to my nights. It was so bad, but. I think at that age you're you're, you're sort of so uh, you know young-eyed and wide you know wide-eyed to the world and you know you don't really take these things too seriously. Sure. Um, which I, I still I still relative I do deal ve- re- relatively well with with rejection. So yeah. Okay. What do you think fuels your entrepreneurial spirit and, and drive? Like what keeps you going and even with failures and other businesses um, and even now with this business and mm. growing it. What is that kind of fuel that's behind you, do you think? Um, I think when it comes to it, I love building stuff. I love creating products um, that people use. Um, I have an ultimate vision for myself and that, that kind of, I always come back to that and like what I want to achieve in the world and what I want to do. So I have a real, um, a real drive and passion to build something that's gonna have an impact on the world and, and change the way people live and for the better, you know? Um, I'm massively passionate about health and fitness. Um, so that's kind of driving what I'm doing right now. Um, but I think when it, sort of what it comes down to is, it's just this love of, of just being outside of my comfort zone, mm. the uncertainty. Um, I thrive in uncertainty. I've worked in a corporate job and I, I hated it. I was miserable. Um, and I, I now thrive in this sort of uncertainty and um, yeah, yeah, this sort of, uh, this risk, um, really. So, yeah, it's sort of fueled by my passion for my ultimate vision, but also just the love of what I'm doing. Okay, um, yeah. Okay. So you were working in the corporate job in, in property. Yeah. What then, I guess, drove you to make the decision to leave that and to start Nutrifix? Yeah, so I, um, I when I realized, I basically had a few too many injuries in rugby, realized I wasn't gonna make it in, into rugby, moved into the, property sector kind of at that time sort of ego led uh, chasing the money I suppose moved in property worked around the world in Singapore Dubai and it was when I was in Dubai I was um, I, I moved to London or seconded to London to open up Shake Shack here and essentially it was whilst I was um, opening up Shake Shack that I experienced the problem that we're now trying to solve so uh, I was eating out all the time um, getting some really bad habits um, uh, and I was just, I tried various diet plans, I tried tracking the food I was eating, tried these sort of meal uh, planning boxes and things like that, but you know, I just, I was massively convenience driven and I was, lack, I was really frustrated about the lack of transparency of what was in my food. So I developed this spreadsheet which had the nutritional information of thousands of meals. I then did like a personal meal planner based on food from the high street. Um, spent, I know it's really sad, but you know, that's the kind of engineering me. Spent loads of time doing it. I kind of thought, okay, I've spent all this time building this spreadsheet based on nutritional information out and about. Wonder if anyone would, would buy it. Um, so I end up selling this spreadsheet for 75 quid uh, to about 40, 50 people on, through Facebook advertising. And then that's kind of got what kind of started it all really. I kind of thought, okay, if someone's gonna buy a spreadsheet, there's gotta be something in this. No one else is doing this. Um, and at the time, I think it was all just fell into place. Um, my job in Dubai asked me to move back to Dubai um, and we pitched to Just Eat. Uh, Just Eat invested 20 grand and it kind of got to a point where it was like, I could go back to this job in Dubai, which is making me miserable, paying loads, but I'm not 
you know passionate about it at all or I could give this a go and if it fails well you know I've given it a go and uh, I'm the kind of guy that does take action I'm not you know scared of risk so uh, took the jump and yeah okay three or four years later <laughs> okay uh, how important do you think it was getting onto that just eat accelerator because it was right off kind of the first step yeah really, wasn't literally it? literally got us up and running um, okay i mean by that point we just had an idea a bit of a prototype so uh yeah it was it was it was so crucial for us um i mean uh yeah i mean that money but also the brand behind us okay you know we shortly raised on on crowdcube um so to have you know an investor like just eat you know that gives you a massive point of validation sure so uh, yeah it was really important okay yeah and did they help then shape the uh, idea and develop the concept and open up doors for you yeah or? I think the biggest thing um, they helped us with was this sort of uh, lean startup mindset at this you know this was the first sort of tech business I was trying to build and I was uh, I went about it trying to build this all singing all dancing products with all bells and whistles on um, and they just you know, stopped me right there and said, look, just launch it. You'll be embarrassed by your first product. You know, just launch it, see how people use it um, and, and adapt and adopt this sort of agile working way of working. And um, I think that was the biggest thing we learned from that because we launched, sure enough, no one used it, you know, day one. So, you know, we could have gone down this, uh, this road of building this massive product no one uses it, sure. we lose all my, our money. So um, I think that was our biggest takeaway from okay. the accelerator. Okay, and what challenges did you encounter at that very early stage? Um, yeah, I, I suppose um, at that stage, you know, it's just, it's probably the, it was probably the m most fun actually, you know, part of running a business. It, you're on your own, yeah. you know, you're not managing anyone. Uh, you can move so quickly, you can change directions so quickly. Um, so it was actually just really fun and I was okay. learning so much. I mean, it obviously had its challenges, um, but you just had, you know, I've always had this drive of just, you know, sort of this sort of pig-headed discipline of just keep going. You know, I started a blog, uh, a social media, you know, at the start we had two people reading my blog and, you know, next week we maybe had three or four, you know, but you just had this relentless determination to just keep going, stick at it and eventually, you know, our newsletter is now read by 12,000. So, you know, you, you've just got to keep at it. But I think at the start, it's just great fun. Okay. And even <laughs> as a sole founder working yeah. on your own, like, did you have a craving to get that team around you again? Um, I think, yeah. I mean, as others are saying at the start, it's, it's, it's probably the easiest to be a sole founder at the start because you can move so quickly. Mm. You're not, um, you don't spend too much time, like, talking about things, strategizing. You're just action. I think as growing a business, um, moves on actually it gets harder as a sole founder um you, you you obviously have more stakeholders people reliant on you you're paying salaries you've got investors so it kind of all falls onto you you know i think it's a very very lonely place being a sole founder you get no feedback you um yeah you have no one to bounce ideas off so i think it does get harder as you move on a business as a sole founder one thing i've brought in is some amazing advisors and uh, I think that is something that's really, really, really helped me because uh, I can then just be to completely vulnerable with them and say how it really <coughs> is. Um, and they've kind of pointed me in the right direction, really. Okay. So how do you deal as a sole founder? Let's say you're having a tough day. Yeah. How do you deal with that internally in your own mind? Is it to go out to your mentor and kind of offload? Um, or, or 
how do you st remain positive and, yeah. and keep that drive? Yeah, so I'm, again, I've, I'm very structured in my th thought process where I run my days. Um, I think the word that comes to mind when I'm having a bad day is, is surrender. So, um, you know, this Brené Brown idea of, you know, uh, I know I'll fail, but I'm all in. You know, you can, you, you can only do what you can do. And I kind of surrender to that fact and like, you know, things won't go your way you're doing your best, like keep going. And also this sort of stoic philosophy of separating yourself from, from the result. Don't take it personally. You know, um, it, you, you are just doing your best. So I think that's one part, having a group of um, advisors. I've got a mastermind um, group of, 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 of guys. We sort of share our sort of challenges in the day. So if I'm having a bad day, I will put something on the group and you know, they'll pick me up. But I think one thing I'm trying to do before that is is, is not be reactive to it, is be um, be on the front foot. So uh, I have a very sort of strict um, morning routine, and that really sets me up for the day. Um, so I think bef you know to try and have a bad day, not have a bad day, you've got to start with a good morning. Okay, very good. I know you're really into maximizing productivity, yeah. and enhancing your routines. Yeah. Like, how do you, I guess, decide what to focus on? And to ensure you're focusing on the right thing at the right time. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm a bit of a productivity ninja. I yeah. love, uh, you know, productivity um, uh, planning and all that kind of stuff. But I think big, big thing for me is having a weekly review. So every Sunday, I set an hour to ninety minutes. Um, I review what I've, what went well in the week, what I could have done better, what I learned. I, I write a daily journal. Um, I look at my sort of decision journal. So any big decisions I've made in a day, I'll say why I've made made that in a sort of daily journal. I'll re re read my daily reviews in my weekly review, and then um, I have a Trello board with like a backlog of p projects, ideas, tasks, and then I move from my backlog into my weekly priority. I have five projects, so one a day. I think you can only really achieve like three hours a day of proper deep work, creative work. And um, it's really critical in that Sunday that I plan the most important project. And I think a big, a good filter for me to have is, you know, what is this stopping me doing? Um, and that's a re really good filter. But also I have a, a weekly call with my advisor on Thursday and uh, he, he really challenges me on what my priority is. I think prioritizing is the biggest and most important part of running at launching a business and probably the biggest challenge as well but having that weekly review means you're you know reviewing things you're reflecting but then you're also prioritizing and you're not reactive so come Monday morning come every morning I know exactly what my project is for that day every day I have three hours of deep work in the morning um, no email no slack my team no not to contact me unless it's urgent okay. um, and then I tackle that one big project every day. Okay. So, Very good. Proper yeah. ninja stuff for sure. Really is. Yeah. Yeah. I've refined and refined over okay. like last the, four the years. The book is coming soon. Yeah. 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 <laughs> one day. One day. <laughs> Very good. And I, I follow you in social media. I know yeah. you're quite prominent and quite active on that as well. Have you found that to be uh, impactful to the business and how do you leverage then your followers? Yeah, um, it's something that I've been uh, right from the outset. I just knew there was a huge opportunity with social media. Um, I think especially in such a, um, a challenging market, you know, one point of difference for our business 
is me you know and I really need to be the, the front of the business you know embracing and, and um, reflecting the brand and, and the values of our business so I think that's been really really important um, I think um, how, how we sort of leverage the audience I suppose this sort of Gary V idea of jab 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 hook you know give 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 um, you know give content give advice you know not necessarily asking that often but now and again you just ask for a favor or you know uh, you, you you try and sell you know so um, this sort of educational marketing or, or just idea of like push sorry you know giving before asking I think that's a, a really good mindset to have when it comes to social media okay very good what other ways then do you gain uh, impact and um, leverage for the business and building the brand yeah, I think um, yeah, it's a good question, and I'm not sh not necessarily sure we've absolutely nailed it yet. But um, certainly through partnerships, um, through PR, through just getting yourself out there, talking at events, getting yourself out into getting yourself out of your comfort zone. So I talk at a lot of events, um, uh, try to go to a lot of events, network. Um, so you know, I've, I think that's been really really important. We, 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 you know, we've actually pivoted to a B2B now, so our tactics have slightly changed. But with the B2C, we were trying to build a community. I think um, you know, some businesses that have done that so well, you know, and people want to stand for something, and that's what we were trying to do on the consumer side. Things have slightly changed now, but um, yeah, I, I, uh, I, think, I think that community, but also you know, getting out there, networking, presenting, um, you know, partnerships you know working with other businesses yeah okay. so you mentioned you, you pivoted there from b2c to b2b yeah what were the factors that led to making that decision yeah so it was the start of uh, last year uh, we were trying to raise some funds on the b2c business uh, and it was incredibly incredibly difficult and i we got to a point where we, we were looking at the numbers we were looking at the data and it was very clear and apparent the direction things were going and it was kind of downhill lots of people using the app uh, lots of people downloading the app but it was very difficult to make revenue from the app we just didn't have the critical mass of restaurants offering click and collect delivery from a partnership with delivery wasn't generating enough revenue um, so we uh, yeah we had to make some really hard decisions um, we had to let go of some team uh, members who are focused on sort of the B2C marketing and growing the B2C side. Um, and we, you know, essentially said to my investors, you know, I still believe they're saying with the B2B, um, you know, give me two months and I'll figure this out. And we went out, uh, designed a prototype, went out to clients to, you know, built our, our pipeline to sell this B2B product, which was just a prototype. Um, and then in that month, we got five clients on board for the B2B product. You know, and that kind of validated the idea of okay, we've, this actually works. Let's let's focus on this, and then we raised um, further four hundred grand on our B two B business. So, uh, yeah, don't be afraid. I mean, our vision hasn't changed, our values haven't changed, but the way we're getting there has. Um, sure. yeah. Okay, very good. I know you've been quite active in doing partnerships with other businesses. Yeah, like you mentioned Deliveroo. Yeah, I know you've done a collaboration with Benito's Hat. Yeah, that's right, and others as well. Mm -hmm. I guess, how do you decide which ones to pursue? Mm -hmm. I guess you're getting opportunities yeah. regularly. How do you decide which is best for the business and where it's, it's, it's worth the effort and time, I suppose? Yeah, I think um, really important to define your values. 
and what your mission is. So we have a very clear mission and vision. Um, so I think defining that and working out whether you know those potential partners are aligned with your mission and vision. Um, Benitez and Hat and Deliveroo came about sort of actually us going to them. Um, so I think you know it's like any marketing strategy. You know, define your ideal customer. You know, build out that pipeline. You know, build out your sort of um, sales engine and just start that process. You know, with being so small as a business, you know, you need to make it so so easy to partner. You know, you need to define exactly, you know, what we'll be doing and actually make it zero work for them. And that's how it was with Deliveroo. We defined exactly what we would be doing and all we needed from then was this one small thing and the integration would work. So um, yeah, making it as simple as possible, I think that's very crucial for like small businesses like ourselves. Okay. And I know one of your partnerships is with a DNA testing yeah. platform as well. Is that something you see growing and becoming mainstream? Or how do you see that kind of developing over time? Yeah, that was, uh, if, if I'm honest, that uh, test didn't go so well. I think um, British people are a little bit hesitant about sharing Ooh. their DNA and, and uh, the, the data, you know, the data worries there. So it didn't massively kick off. I do still believe there is this huge opportunity with, um, uh, you know, DNA testing, gut biome testing, blood testing, I think people do want, want to know more about themselves and more about uh, what they should and shouldn't be eating. I think everyone, there is an increased understanding of people are different. You know, what you should be eating is totally different to what I should be eating. So I do see this huge opportunity with the likes of, I think we're particularly t excited about gut biome testing actually because your DNA uh, doesn't necessarily show you right in the moment what you should and shouldn't be eating. It sort of shows you what you're predisposed to um, but actually your, your gut health is more of a better indication of what you should, should and should be eating right now. So I think we're more excited about that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's an exciting space. I think we're still a long way from that to become mainstream. Um, so we're focusing on the, you know, trying to uh, just make healthy eating easier. Eventually we'll, we will like to plug in you know, DNA, gut biome testing, that kind of sure. stuff. But these type of things take time really for 100%, consumers' yeah. habits to change. Absolutely, and, yeah. yeah. So I know you're working with many restaurants. Uh, what kind of trends are you noticing out there? How it's a changing dining scene and consumers' habits are changing. Like we're in a, a food hall here, yeah. which are obviously exploding. Yeah. So how, how do you see the market at the moment and how do you see it changing going into the future? Yeah, so um, I, I hate to say it, but plant-based is a big trend um, and I, I don't want to wanted to say something different, <laughs> wanted to say something different to that, but we, we are seeing an increasing number of, uh, both on the user-based side, like people's preferences in the, in the app and our B2B, there's a lot more um, vegans, vegetarians, pescatarians uh, now than it was three years ago when we launched. Uh, and also when you see, look on the menus, uh, there's an increasing number of um, uh, you know, vegan, vegetarian options. Um, we're seeing, uh, you know, we, we particularly work with sort of healthier food restaurants. Um, we're, we're seeing a lot of restaurants now focusing on gut health. I think there's an increasing understand, understanding of how important your gut health is. So um, raw food, probiotics, um, kimchi, sauerkraut, uh, kombucha, that kind of stuff. So there is certainly an increasing demand and understanding from the use base that, uh, you know, how important our gut health is and, and restaurants are reacting to that. Um, so yeah, we, we're really excited 
about sort of the health, healthy, health and wellness space. There's increasing number of healthy restaurants popping up. Um, you know, the, with the likes of sort of dark kitchens, um, delivery additions. Um, you know, we, we're seeing actually a lot of uh, de delivery only healthy food options. So uh, it's, it's working well for us. Um, and I think, I think globally, one of the, the biggest, uh, fastest growing markets is health and wellness. So I don't think it's a, a trend, it's here to stay. Okay, and just on the, the plant-based yep. um, choice, I guess, like I noticed in the street food side, mm. there's a lot of um, plant-based, uh, the kind of junk food mm. style food. Yeah. Do you see now the next step as being kind of plant-based but healthy? So kind of moving away from your junk food, or do you think that will remain and then health will come in kind of on top of that, or yeah, how I do you see it? Well, I think there's this, there's, I think the reason is for that is people have thought, you know, all plant-based food is healthy. You know, no matter what, if it's like deep fried or burgers, you know, there's this idea of like, if it's a plant-based burger, it's, it's healthy. But, you know, when you actually look to what's in it, uh, you, you work out it's full of crap. Sure. Um, so uh, I think one, a big thing we're trying to do is um, provide transparency. Um, and, uh, and I think people are frustrated now, are getting more frustrated at, you know, being martyred to as something being healthy because it might be plant-based, but then to see it's got a load of chemicals, a load of fake, fake rubbish in. Um, so I think people are demanding transparency and that's something we're trying to service. So just because it is plant-based doesn't mean it's healthy. Um, but yeah, I, I, th I do, do think uh, sort of a raw food, probiotic, kimchi, sauerkraut, I think that will, will, will definitely be a trend we see because um, that's how we used to eat and stay healthy ages ago and uh, the, the nutrients in our food are getting less and less um, and the, you know, uh, fermenting food definitely brings out more nutrients in food. So, Okay. Yeah. So obviously there's a lot of businesses similar to yourself yep. developing food tech-based apps mm. and tapping into this health trend. Yeah. How do you, I guess, keep up with what's going on, first of all, yep. with new players coming onto the market? And then secondly, how do you ensure you're competing and staying ahead of all these people yep. as well? Yeah, um, I think it's really important to not get too worried about competition. Obviously, keep an eye on them. Um, I think you'll naturally find out about competition. I think people uh, often, <laughs> you know, you'll find lots of people messaging you and say, have you heard about this? And so that will naturally happen. I think there's lots of food tech groups um, in London. Um, so, you know, going to lots of events, um, you know, networking, speaking to, to those people. Um, I think a big thing of how we're staying uh, trying to stay ahead is you know our data so we have the largest set of nutritional data from food and restaurant in London we actually monetize that um, so and that data is unique to us you know it's not shared with Deliveroo it's not shared with Uber Eats or any other platforms so that data is a really really big USP of ours um, and I suppose how to how to stay ahead in terms of technology and innovation um, you know, speaking to users, speaking to restaurants, you know, being on the ground in the trenches. Um, we've got an amazing product person who uh, heads up product at Grays. Uh, he helps us part time with our sort of strategy and our product roadmap. So, um, and just adopting this agile methodology, you know, constantly testing things, um, you know, not spending too much money or time on it, but seeing how you can test things uh, and just being, you know, okay with failure. 
um, and learning from it really. Okay, so as more and more of these apps, I guess, go live, yeah. uh, how do you see it playing out? Like the space could become saturated. Yeah. Do you think some will just fail and fall out? Or would it be mergers or buyouts? Like you got MyFitnessPal as an yeah. example. Do you think they would buy out some of the, the smaller players? Or how do you see it playing out? Yeah, I, 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 um, I think so. I think um, when those businesses sort of hit a roof on, you know, a uh, number of users, they'll obviously look at ways they can plug in new revenue streams. So I definitely think there will be mergers. We're particularly excited about um, sort of the personalized nutrition angle. And, you know, we're acquiring all this data on ourselves, but actually how do you use that data? What we're trying to do is take that data and make informed, you know, convenient. I think a big point where is is convenient choices. So, you know, I would love to see some mergers between the likes of, you know, Fitbit and Nutrifix or, um, uh, you know, Viome and, and Nutrix, you know, something that, you know, takes data and we actually can empower that data with our algorithm essentially. So yeah, we'd love, we'd love to see, you know, uh, making, you know, our, our, our vision is sort of making personalized nutrition a reality, taking away the stress of healthy eating. So, you know, we'd love to see a, a merger like that. Um, but yeah, staying ahead, I, th I think also a big point of difference for, for, for our business is, is myself. You know, and, and being being um, you know being the sort of spokesperson, living and breathing the brand, um, social media, being out and about, um, public speaking, um, you know, and the the team we've got an amazing team. So, employing a really good team, staying agile, being willing to fail, pulling the right direction. Sure. Yeah. I mean, it, it's okay. it's a risky sector, but sure. Okay. So, what's <laughs> what's your expansion strategy then? going forward from now, I guess, over the next five years or so? Yeah, so we've, uh, as you're saying, we, we've pivoted um, to a B2B. We've just, um, I'm very big on partnerships, um, so trying to leverage other companies' audiences. So we've just secured a very, very large partnership, um, which will essentially get us to, you know, pretty significant scale in London uh, the next year. Um, they are owned by a global business, which turn over about 8 billion a year. So. Um, that would be, you know, a very good expansion mm. strategy worldwide. It makes total sense in terms of partnership. We, you know, they don't do what we we do, uh, but they have uh, the same clients. So, and they're looking at ways they can re grow revenues with their clients. So, that will be a very, very big part of our expansion strategy. And I, I really am a big believer of partnerships. Um, but then, once we've sort of launched that, we're launching an enterprise product. Um, so then you get more into enterprise sales, education marketing, content marketing, um, you know, again, come back to that, you know, give, 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 give um, idea. Um, and then building out our sort of digital marketing engine. Once we have that sort of base of revenue, um, you know, we don't have any marketing uh, hires at the moment. So bringing a good digital marketing person to lead that sort of digital marketing engine. So that's the idea, you know, hopefully be global within sort of uh, two years you know, UK uh, this year and next, and then, you know, looking at any cities that make sense. I think like cities like Dubai, um, Singapore, Hong Kong, you know, if, if that makes sense, or, or maybe Munich or, you know, German 
German cities. So, yeah, we'll do that research. Okay. And, but real, really, really important for us right now to have real, just pick-headed discipline and focus. Sure, very good. Exciting times. Ahead, it is. Yeah, sure. it is. Yeah. Very good. So I'd like to just finish off on two general questions. Yeah, yeah, of if, course. If we can. Um, is there one thing you know now that you wish you knew when you were starting out? When uh, you had that seed of an idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you know what? I, I <laughs> probably uh, to go B two B first. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, I, I, but at the same time, like you, you learn from these things. Uh, we wouldn't have acquired the data set uh, that we have now if we went B two B first, perhaps. So uh, I think that's a, a, a big bit of learning. I think uh, also to add to that, I know you asked for one, I'm gonna give you two, uh, is, is to get a really good advisor, someone who's been there and done it, been in the trenches, built a team. Yep. My advisor's uh, built a business of, you know, has 10 million in revenue, did that in five years. Um, you know, having an advisor like that is, is just invaluable. Um, so I'd say, yeah, those two things. Okay, very <laughs> good. And you've slightly answered the second one. Uh, okay. Is there any advice you'd give to somebody starting out in a related business or just yep. a, a food business in general yep. um, from your experience? Yeah, yeah. So anybody even with an idea and yeah. they're, they're not quite sure what to do to get it up and running? Yeah. What, what would you suggest? I, I, would, I would suggest um, break, breaking down your goal or your idea into the smallest, some of its parts. So like work out what's the smallest thing you can do right now to validate or test your idea. You know, for the B2C business, that was our Excel sheet. Um, for the B2B business, it was just a prototype that I went to businesses and sold. You know, we didn't have a, have a product, we just sold a prototype. So work out what's the smallest thing you can do right now to validate your idea or your business. Uh, go out, test it. Um, you know, I think people can get too overwhelmed if they think of this, you know, we've got to build this grand business with a da 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 you know, break it down into one small thing you know, one week, one action, one focus, do it, move on. Sure. Um, I think that's big. So it's just getting the wheels turning really. Yeah, and exactly. Grow from just that. the hardest part is starting. Yeah. Um, then it's just all, you know, momentum from there. Very good. Well, it's been a pleasure having you, Joel. Yeah, thank you. Exciting times, Stuart. It is. And wish you the best of luck. Thanks so Hope much. See you again. Yeah. Okay. Thanks very much. Cheers. Cheers.